Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Genesis chapter 45. With the word open before us, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and merciful Father, we come before you and ask that your word would do a mighty work within us this evening. Lord, you have said in your word that your word is like a fire, like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. And we pray that you would use your word to sculpt us this very evening. Lord, that your word would do its work of not only encouraging the saints, but also, Lord, to uh, rebuke us, to show us our sin, to point us to Christ, that your word would not return void, but it would do its mighty work even within our sinful hearts. We pray and know this is only done through the Holy Spirit working in us, And we pray that he would do this very work this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 to 15. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Then Joseph could not control himself before those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. So the Egyptian heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. When he has made me a father to Pharaoh, the Lord of his house and the ruler of all the land of Egypt, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you For there are not yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. 
And now your eyes see, and your eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Judah had just finished his eloquent speech, pleading that he, this man that stood before him, Zaphnath Paneah, would let his youngest brother go free, even if that meant he would stay in Egypt. He finished his plea, as we've read before in verse chapter 44, verse 33 and 40, 34. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. You can imagine there as the brothers stood before this mighty man as they described this cruel man, Zaphnath Panea, the guards around him. They came back and they described to their father their dealings with this harsh man. And Judah has finished his, his speech, his plea, and the room is now silent. And everybody waited for this harsh man's response. What would he say? What would he do? Would he leave Benjamin to stay here and send their brothers home? Would he take Judah's request? Now when Joseph was left dead in a pit, as we read the narrative, he is the one that is silent. No words come from Joseph's mouth. But now he speaks. Now he opens his mouth. So much so that he's unable to be able to control himself. Like this balloon that's been filled up that is eventually unable to be able to contain itself. It must burst forth. And Joseph is standing there hearing the plea of his brother Judah. The the brother who said, let us sell him into slavery. What profit it is to us if we leave him dead in a pit? And Judah's long and passionate speech about what this will do to his father had moved the heart of this who they thought was this cruel man that stood before him. It moved his heart because it was not only Judah's father that he was talking about, but also Joseph's father. And I'm sure all the onlookers were very confused as they were told that everyone must leave the presence of Zaphnath Panea, this harsh and cruel man. But now Judah has given his speech. Now it's turn for Joseph's speech. Now formerly there had been an interpreter between Zaphnath Panea and these brothers from the land of Canaan. 
But now as everybody is sent out, there's no interpreter between them. There's no need for an interpreter. It's just Joseph and his brothers. And as the people leave, they hear the sound of weeping. Not just those in the vicinity, the Egyptians that are close by, but also Pharaoh's house heard the weeping of Joseph. And Joseph tells them something that we've known all along. must be strange now to see this 39-year-old man before them who claims to be your dead brother. And he tells them very clearly that I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Every time that they'd come before him to be able to meet them, he had one common question that flowed throughout. Is your father well? But now his question has changed. It is not, is your father well, but is my father well? What a bombshell that had been put upon these brothers. They come back thinking that they're going to stand before this harsh and cruel judge. That Judah stood forth and and presented his case that let the youngest go free that I might be able to take his place. And instead of receiving a yes or a no, they find out that the man that stood before them, Zaphnath Paneah, is their brother, which they sought to be able to leave dead in a ditch. They eventually changed their mind and sold them into slavery to be able to make some money. Twenty shekels of silver as they discuss this over lunch. But this brother is actually alive. Not only is he only alive, but now he takes the position of that of prime minister in all of Egypt. You can understand why they are dismayed, flabbergasted when this man says that I am Joseph. But as they stand now in silence, Joseph continues to speak. In chapter 44, it was Judah's chance to be able to speak. But in chapter 45, it is now Joseph's. Verse 4 to verse 13. Not as long as Judah's, but it is yet another long speech. Now we've made comments as we've read through this story. Now we've seen Joseph's comments as he looks back on this story referred to this passage many times as we've looked forward to what is about to happen and what is happening in the time and the situation. But I want to highlight three main points of Joseph's speech. That is what God said, God sent, and God saves. First, God said. We cannot overlook of where this all started. Back when young Joseph, under 17 years old, maybe 17 at this time, but maybe even younger, had this dream. And this whole dream that then began this cycle of events which all led to this very moment. And this dream had a great impact on the brothers. Remember what they said as they saw him coming from a distance. Here comes the dreamer. Not here comes the favorite child, which he was. Not the one who tattled on us, the backstabber. But here comes the dreamer. 
that this dream, as Joseph explains to Pharaoh, is it not God who interprets dreams, who gives dreams? That God said this would happen, that the brothers would stand before Joseph bowing down. And this is all said before the motive, the plan had put, been put into action by Judah as they ate lunch. Their plans were all not working. Simeon had a plan to come back and rescue him. Reuben had a plan to come back and rescue him. But God had said all along what was going to happen. Now this is important to be able to understand. It's one thing to be able to say at the end that, oh, I knew that was going to happen. It's another thing to be able to say even long before it happened that this is going to happen and it be true. And this is what we see, that God had said this would happen. Not only that, we see that God sent the second thing in his speech. Five times in his speech, Joseph makes it very clear that although his brothers had sinned against him, it was God who sent him here to be in this position at this time. Not only that God had sent him to Egypt, but also that God had placed him in this position. He realizes that he serves Pharaoh because of God's providence. See this in verse 5. When he turns to his brothers and do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. In verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. In verse 8, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then he continues and said, That God has made me the father to Pharaoh. And then in verse 9, when he tells his brothers what he is to tell his father, God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Here Joseph sees God's hand at work in this situation and time. You have his brother's sin and folly and all this, but all of it is worked for God. John Calvin puts it this way. Thus we see that Joseph was a skillful interpreter of the providence of God. When he borrowed from it an argument for granting forgiveness to his brethren, the magnitude of the crime committed against him might have so uh, incentivized him as to cause him to burn with the desire of revenge. But when he reflects that their wickedness had been overruled by the wonderful and unwanted goodness of God, for the giving, forgetting the injury received, he kindly embraces the men who dishonor God, that covered with his grace. That Joseph had every right in this moment to be able to say, look what you did to me. How you sinned against me. Can you remember when you were beating me and I was crying out and begging for mercy? And you did nothing. When you left me dead in the ditch and you were eating your lunch. And what did you do? You thought it best to sell me. 
20 shekels of silver. How did you treat me? What did you do for me? But yet Joseph in this time thinks not of what they did to him, but how God was working through them to be able to accomplish his means. As John Calvin, that their wickedness was overruled by the wonderful and unwanted goodness of God. It's an amazing testimony to think 22 years later from what happened in that pit in that time of that day. That he's able to see that God is the one who sent him here. Who appointed him to this position. But not only that, that God sent him here, that God saves. That Joseph is not only able to see God's telling him that it's happening and saying that it's happening, that he sent him here, but he also has sent him here for a purpose. He's able to look back and see why that purpose is. Not only that God sent me before you, but to preserve life. Or in verse 7, to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And when we think about the story of Genesis as, as these unfolding promises come to end, these, these, these promises that flow throughout Scripture, This single promise that starts in the Garden of Eden after the sin and before God speaks to Adam, before he speaks to Eve, he speaks to the serpent and said, I'm going to send someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent. This promise which flows through the covenant of grace as we see this this promise grow and expand as a tapestry, as each line is added, as this beautiful picture begins to be formed before us. The seed, the promise has not been fulfilled at this time. The seed had not yet come from this line which was promised. God had not yet fulfilled his promise, but he was fulfilling his promise. And a way of he, that he's fulfilling this promise is that even when Abram was in the land of us, when there was a promise of three made to these three, that Abraham, Sarai, and Lot, He said to Abram Wright in Genesis 12, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now you have 33 chapters later. And what you have is a mini-nation been preserved and kept by God. This remnant which would carry the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would sustain them through famine. God was not yet fulfilled, has not yet fulfilled His promise, so yet He is fulfilling His promise. Matthew Henry says this, God, Israel... Is a particular care of God's providence. Joseph reckoned that his advancement was not so much designed to save a whole kingdom of Egyptians, but in particular to preserve a small family of Israelites. 
that God went to great lengths to be able to preserve for that, that remnant of this mini-nation, this small family of Israelites. God not only saves them from their famine-stricken land, but also provides for them above and beyond. Joseph explains that they're only two years into this famine, that there's five years to come. And in those two years of famine, their family has already needed to make this voyage two years, uh, two times. Now this is assuming that during this time they had some form of reserves that they could use. And from this time, these five years are going to be worse than these two years. But where are the people of promise? They've been saved by one who was sent before, as he said it would happen, to be able to save and to preserve them for a remnant on earth. And all of this we see God's providence and provision for his people. And we see through his providence he provides for his people. This is what we see secondly is Joseph's speech, now Joseph's provision. Joseph explains that you shall dwell in the land of Goshen in verse 10. And you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. And there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Now it's a tall order to be able to have people come and live at your house to be able to say, come and use whatever you need. Here's a roof, here's a bed, some clothes. Come for a couple of nights. Now, it's an entirely different thing to be able to have a whole family of 70 people come and dwell. That 70 doesn't include their wives. Not only their, their people, but then all of their flocks and their herds for a period of five years. And this is what Joseph is able to do, to be able to provide for them. It's amazing that in this passage, it's not only that God provides for them, just as as a means of giving them daily bread to be able to sustain them for these five years, but enough, ample. I mean, realistically, it doesn't seem that Jacob is struck for cash. He sent his sons twice to go buy grain. And the second time, he he gives choice fruits and things of that. Now, maybe it would be that he would not have enough to be able to survive five years. But again, we cannot overlook God's providence. That we were told this long before, that this is really a story of how Israel ended in Egypt. Genesis 15, God had told Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. And we see here that this is the beginning of that promise that they're going to be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. Even before Jacob was born, God said that this would happen. God continues to fulfill his promises. Joseph concludes his speech, and his brothers are less speechless. It's the opposite of chapter 37. 
In chapter 37, the brothers do all the talking and Joseph is speechless. But now Joseph talks and they are speechless. Speeches. Joseph summarizes what he's already told them in verses 12 to 13. Now see, your eyes see, and let your, the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father, and all my honor in Egypt, and in all that I have seen, you have seen, hurry and bring my father down here. Really, a summary of what he has said before in verse 3, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But then finally, Joseph weeps. You see, the bond of brothers is not broken at this time. Joseph could have every right to be bitter, rude, arrogant, or even just remain silent. He had his chance that to make his brothers pay, and pay severely. But his view of providence was bigger than his personal feelings towards his brothers. He was able to be able to trust God and his plan and purposes rather than the plans and purposes of his brother. He had said earlier in verse 5, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. One of the first things he says is, the words of that of forgiveness. That his view of providence was shaped in how he interacted with his brothers. He wept on the neck of his brother Benjamin, but also all of his brothers. This man in which they called cruel and harsh has now shed a lot of emotion as he displays it to his brothers. That his theology, his understanding of God and how he works was not merely just something that he studied and learned, but it affected how he then related to those around him. That his, his, his view of theology was, was shaped in not just what he did and said, but how, what he named his children. He called his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships. And all my father's house. And then the second born Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That he sees God's hand at work in all circumstances and time. His theology of providence understood that it doesn't matter what the person intended it for. Whether evil or for good. It what matters how God ordained it for for evil, or for good. And God ordains all things for good for those who live according to the promises. That even, you could see just even a scope of Christ in this passage. As we read before from John chapter 6, that I am the bread of life. All who come to me shall never hunger, shall never thirst, Joseph is saying that here in this passage. Come and live with me. I will provide all that you need. As tonight's passage begins with weeping, 
and ends with weeping. We see God's masterful hand of providence, as we've known all along, as we've read through this story, but now is right before the brothers' eyes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. O gracious and merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for passages like this in which we see your sovereign hand at work in the lives of your people. Lord, that you not only use your works of providence, but in your works of providence you provide for your people. Lord, we thank you that you have provided for us a way through your Son, Jesus Christ, in which we have and are sustained through the bread of life. Help us to be able to understand, to comprehend this glorious truth. Help us to be able to see, as we interact with others, that our providence is not merely something to be thought and taught about, but something to be acted upon. That we might be able to see your hand at work, even in the evil intentions of those who are around us. Help us to be able to trust in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His Glory and His Gospel.